morning again, Christian Fellowship Church. Um, as we get into God's Word this morning, I'll remind you we're in a series through the Proverbs. Uh, but we're in that middle portion now where there's lots of Proverbs about lots of different topics. So for last week's sermon, today and the next two weeks, we're going to be bouncing around in the Proverbs rather than going verse by verse through. To help aid with that, we'll put the verses up on the screen. As a church, we encourage you to bring your Bibles, go in your Bibles to where I go in the text. But on a sermon like this one, I don't want you to feel the pressure to bounce around really quickly because we're going to see a lot of them. Uh, So it's up to you, but we'll have the verses up on the screen. But let's ask the Lord to use this time to our benefit and for his glory. Fathers, we come before you not only in singing and enjoying communion, but to sit at the feet of your word. I pray that I would fade to the backdrop and that your word would be front and center. We don't ask that we would remember this sermon. We ask that we would remember this passage, these passages, these verses, what they mean, what they demand of us, and how they point us to you to lean on your grace for grace and wisdom to live lives accordingly. Father, we ask that you would teach us, give us insights, guide us, give us grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I mentioned, we're looking at topics. Topics. The Proverbs are sayings throughout uh, the, the book of Proverbs that deal with various topics. Today's topic is going to be about wealth. Wealth. I was trying to think, how many times have I preached on money? I think maybe three times. You know, something like that. But the Bible has a lot to say about money. The Proverbs definitely have a lot to say about wealth. Now, when I say wealth, I thought, boy, I better explain. Because when we think wealth, we think of a top-tier income, a top-tier income category. I don't think when the Proverbs speak about wealth, it necessarily means you're in that top percent uh, category. Uh, It just means material gain. And it means not poor. Okay. So I'm going to say wealth a lot. And in fact, I'm going to make a case that you should be gaining wealth. I'll be saying that a lot too. Some of you are like, what? He's preached so many sermons saying the opposite. Right? Uh, preaching against the prosperity gospel. We'll get to that in a minute. But just to clarify, when I say wealth, it doesn't mean, uh, you know, safaris, $3 million homes, right, vacations on your own personal yacht. Uh, Each of us, by world standards, are wealthy now. Um, If you can generally say, hey, what should we order tonight? You're wealthy. If you can open your closet door and go, hmm, which shoes go with which outfit? You're wealthy. If you're like, ah, I'd wear that, but I wore that this week already. You're wealthy. But there's a scale, right? If yachts and Lamborghinis are up here and being homeless is down here, most of us reside in this middle space here. And I think the Proverbs speak in extremes. There's rich and there's poor. There's the wealthy and there's the total destitute. But I don't think we should read it like all of these Proverbs are only about the ends, the extremes, but about moving upward or downward on the scale. Does that make sense? So we don't take these Proverbs to mean if I live out this proverb perfectly, I'll live in this top percent where I can go buy the most expensive car, multiple homes, 
you know, I can, I can quit my job, I just have all this money. Nor does it mean if you necessarily don't listen to this, you're necessarily the poorest of the poor in the world. But it's about the scale moving and that in wisdom you move up the scale and in foolishness you move down the scale in general. Some people, looks like, they look like they're moving up the scale and the Proverbs are saying eventually it catches up with you and you end up down the scale. I think that's important. The reason why I'm taking a long time to say that is because I don't want anyone to kind of just listen to one snippet of the sermon and go, Pastor said if I obey, I'll, get, I'll be, you know, a, a millionaire. I never said that, and I'm saying the opposite of that to you now. I'm not saying you'll be top tier. But you won't necessarily end in extreme, though you could, but the Lord's wisdom is more about your general direction. So this is how the Proverbs talk about wealth. The Proverbs have a lot to say about money, material gain. The Proverbs, or the sayings, right, they're brief, poetically put bits of wisdom that are related to a particular topic. And when it comes to wealth, I think people often look down on the wealthy as if they're automatically wicked just due to the having. But the Proverbs present a much more complex picture than that. And in fact, the Proverbs teach us that wealth can be, wealth can be a reward from God. I say can be, again, because we live in a world where there's a, we're surrounded by false teachers that just push a so-called prosperity gospel. Like I said, we'll get to that in a minute, but it's true that wealth can be a reward from God. Not necessarily millions of dollars at the top tier, but that upward movement toward wealth and gaining and earning, having savings, being out of debt, being able to make decisions without the stress of poverty coming down upon you. The Proverbs tell you you can move in that direction with wisdom. Now, riches are often associated with the wicked, but riches are also associated with the wise. That's why I say wealth can be a reward from God as a reward for what? For wisdom. Let's look at our first verse, chapter 22, verse 4. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Pretty plain. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Riches, honor, and life. A reward for what? Well, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know that the fear of the Lord has to do with humility. Some translations say humility is the fear of the Lord. ESV says humility and the fear of the Lord. It's difficult. The Hebrew just says humility, fear of the Lord. <laughs> There's no and or but or comma. And so that's why the translations look a little differently, but they're not all that different. What does it mean to fear the Lord and not be humble? Pride uh, puts you at enmity with the Lord. So, of course, humility and fear of the Lord go together. Now, we know the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And the proverb is saying that God rewards that with riches, honor, and life. Not only riches. Riches isn't everything, but riches is in there, isn't it? And we might think to spiritualize it, meaning, well, he means riches of mercy, the riches of his grace, the treasure of Christ, or, you know, the prize of having peace with God. But throughout the Proverbs, it's obvious that riches mean riches. Riches mean wealth. It means material gain. So wealth can be a reward from God. It's what Scripture teaches. Riches isn't the only thing, but it's there. 
Again, I, I do need to make this clear. It's not the prosperity gospel, the, the gospel, the false gospel that would teach you the more money you give to the church, the more money God puts in your account. The more you obey God, the more stuff you'll have. That is a false gospel. So it would do us well to pause here a minute. Because in our efforts to thwart that false gospel and to push against that false gospel, we might end up in another error, swing to an opposite error that teaches that God does not reward. And that's not right. God only rewards in heaven with translucent spiritual gain that you can't touch. It's weird, right? We're like casting crowns, like we're going to have crowns. Like it's hard to think of the next phase of eternity, right, as material, but it is. But when the, the Proverbs aren't like, after Jesus' return, you know, after God's judgment, then there'll be material gain. That is true. Jesus teaches that. But the Proverbs are about the here and the now. The here and the now. And the here and the now is important. I've met people that are like, ah, oh, what you do with your body doesn't matter. I'm like, that old heresy still persists? Whole epistles in the Bible have been written teaching against that false teaching, that your body doesn't matter because it's going to die anyway. What matters is the heavenly experience. Incorrect. Incorrect. What you do with your body matters because God created the world, this material stuff in front of us, and called it good. Sin entered the world, and he didn't go, forget it, it's not good anymore, let's just make everything spiritual. God is deeply invested in the material, in the physical, and in wealth. So we don't want to, we do want to push against the prosperity gospel, that one-to-one correspondence. Give a little, he gives you a lot. Put money in the church account, he puts money in your bank account, one-to-one. Obey here, he gives you that. Disobey here, he subtracts something from your life. He takes away something that you own as a one-to-one correspondence. That's not true, but we don't want to push so hard against that. We end up in this weird place where everything is spiritual. God doesn't care about your bank. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about your mortgage. He doesn't care about your wallet. He does care. And he wants to put stuff in there for you. Not as a one-to-one correspondence and not with money at the top. If you do things for God because he's going to give you something, that means you worship the gift and not the giver. We benefit uh, from fearing the Lord with wealth, but if we claim to fear the Lord, but really what we're after is wealth, we're turning God into a genie, not a God. That's not fear of the Lord. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. So if you're out on fear of the Lord... You're out on what the Proverbs are talking about. If you're chasing and clawing and scraping after money, and you see God as a way to get you there, like he's this celestial vending machine, I put a quarter in, what's the toy? What's the toy? No toys? I hate you. This is why people fall away from the faith. Did they have faith in the beginning? That's my question. Somebody along the way told them, if you come to Jesus, he'll take away your disease. Come to Jesus, he'll give you more money. Everybody would come to Jesus if Jesus were a genie with unlimited wishes. You come to Jesus for Jesus. But if you come to Jesus for Jesus, you fear the Lord in humility, and he's your number one thing, then wealth can be a reward from God for that person. God has the right to withhold it. He withheld it from Job, and Job said, I cover my mouth. I can't say anything. 
I don't deserve it. He withheld health from Paul. Paul prayed, take this pain away. And he said, no, I have something else I need to do here. So God's not enslaved to these Proverbs. If you're like, I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a season of not wealth right now, Pastor. I'm in a season of difficulty right now. There might be multiple reasons for that, but God is not handcuffed to moving you up that scale at every season in your life. And when he does move you up the scale, he can move it in, do it in special ways, miraculous ways. This envelope slipped under my door and there's $1,000 in there. Or it's the exact amount of the payment that I needed. We hear testimonies like that. But he also does it in general ways. The way that he in general created the world. For instance, the lazy person tends to lose jobs. You don't have to be a Christian to, to know that this is the way the world works. In general, lazy people don't get promotions. In general, people that do get promotions, there's hard work there. There's diligent. The diligent person tends to earn more. The person who makes wise friends and is a faithful friend is trusted, and those connections play out into more opportunities, don't they? Doors open because you know people. You know people that you've built trust with. You've built trust because you're a wise friend. See last week's sermon. So what I'm saying is, it's not a one-to-one correspondence all the time, but it's as you live these general patterns, the general pattern in your life will be gaining wealth. It's a general pattern. But not put money in the box on Sunday, go home after lunch, open up your bank account, and see what happens. That's, that's not what's happening here. But a general pattern that God rewards with wealth. Wealth can be a reward from God for walking in wisdom. So the Proverbs aren't against being wealthy. The Proverbs aren't even really for being wealthy. Rather, the Proverbs tend to focus on how you got it. That's what matters. How did you get it? Okay. And that's what these Proverbs that we're going to look at focus on. That's why the sermon is called Wise Earnings. How did you get that wealth? Wealth is not good or bad, but how you got there can be good or bad or wise or foolish. How did you get it? If it's a reward for wisdom, it's a blessing. If it's gained through foolishness or wickedness, it's a problem. So wealth can be a reward from God, but only if it is attained with wisdom. Therefore, we should gain wealth wisely. We should gain wealth wisely. We're going to look at several Proverbs to see this truth. Wealth can be a reward from God, but only if it is gained wisely. There's, your, there's the, the most salient point in the sermon today. Wealth can be a reward from God, but only if it is gained wisely. How do you gain it wisely? Seven principles. There are more. But I was trying to be mindful of our time. All right. Seven principles uh, that we can glean from the Proverbs to gain wealth with wisdom. All right. Seatbelt on. Hitting the gas. Let's go. Number one, you gain wealth with wisdom by gaining it with integrity. By gaining it with integrity. If you didn't gain your wealth with integrity, then you're better off being poor. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Proverbs 28, verse 6, up on the screen. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Crooked is literally twisted in the Hebrew. It's being duplicitous, devious, double-dealing, as one commentator put it. 
Integrity is a better treasure than material wealth. So if you have to have only one, integrity is by far the better choice. Now think about this in practical terms. It's easy to be like, uh-huh, amen. Write it down in my journal. If you're ever in a situation that calls on you to compromise what is right, and the incentive to compromise what is right is money, or career, or a raise, or a promotion, or just plain keeping your job, do this, or I'll find someone else to do it. You know what the answer is to that? Find someone else to do it. What about my closet? What about my pantry? What about my food? What about my mortgage? Better to have integrity and live on the street then compromise your integrity and pay your bills. Now, hopefully, as we look at the other Proverbs, you won't have to make that choice. Integrity will lead you upward on the scale. But in those instances where it's a choice, even if right now you feel like, oh, no, integrity, oh, totally, when it's in front of you, when those two doors are in front of you, it is scary to choose integrity and poverty When you know if you go through this door, compromise a little bit, it's just a little bit, there's security through the other door. So that's why we start with this proverb, don't do it. Some jobs, some employers incentivize crooked dealing to make profit. And when they invite you into that, you say no. Everybody does it. No. What about the collateral damage, the fallout? You let God take care of that. That's why number two is by trusting the Lord. Gain wealth wisely by trusting the Lord. Look at chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So think about this. There's nothing inherently wrong with treasure. It's gaining it wickedly. That's the problem. We covered that. But here, it's like the antidote is knowing that the Lord is not going to let the righteous go hungry. That's that's the antidote to not doing the wicked thing. I don't need to do the wicked thing to gain money. Why? Because I'm going to do the right thing, walk through the door of integrity, and even if it's scary, it's really not that scary because I'm not trusting in my ability To make money, I'm trusting in God's ability to care for me. He won't let the righteous go hungry. Therefore, I'm not to worry about it. I don't scratch and claw to do things that I shouldn't do in order to get money. Trust that I will be cared for. But if you crave things and use wickedness to get and to attain, then the Lord will be against you. He thwarts the craving of the wicked. You don't want him against you. You want him on your side. And that's trust. Trusting him. I think some of us are given to saving and some of us to spending. Some of you grew up in a house where you saw how different you were from your siblings. You know, as soon as your sibling got money from Uncle Bob, they spent it immediately. And then you you have five imbursements from Uncle Bob still sitting in your closet. Ultra savers versus ultra givers, right? There's some important lesson here with regard to trust. I think spenders need to be careful because there's great wisdom in tucking away money for unforeseen occasions. That's true. But savers need to be careful too. Savers need to be careful because there's a danger that not wanting to spend is due to a fear of tomorrow. 
And Jesus literally taught not to operate that way. And we often think Jesus comes on the scene making stuff up. Like, I command you not to worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. He feeds the birds, right? Jesus just did his devotions in the Proverbs. You know what I mean? He's teaching the Old Testament and applying it to people. It's not new. It's what the Old Testament taught. You trust the Lord. Therefore, you don't have to feel pressure to make wicked decisions. The next one, though, cautions us to not take trust the wrong way. We rely on God's sovereignty, but not to the exclusion of hard work. Number three is by hard work. I mean, you can think like, oh, I trust God. So, hey, I'll get a job next week. Hey, you know what? I'm going to just not have a job for a while. Because God provides. And Jesus said, don't worry. So, no, that's called lazy. That's called lazy, and that's wicked. So, number three, we gain reward wisely by hard work. Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. A slack hand causes poverty. The hand of the diligent makes rich. The word here for slack is used in other verses to describe a a failed archer's bow. Like the string is not taut enough to shoot arrows. It doesn't produce any arrow shots because the string is not taut. The string is slack. And here, in this proverb, saying the slack hand, the hand doesn't, doesn't get to work, the hand isn't productive, it doesn't produce any good shots, it doesn't produce anything of worth. You can't put off work and call it trust in the Lord. You need to be productive. So you gather, you work, you don't sleep through the work hours, the gathering hours. Check out 28.19, Proverbs 28.19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of something else, poverty, right? The Proverbs speak in generalities, right? This is not a formula or a scheme. It's a principle. But work is productive. It produces food, shelter, etc. Worthless pursuits are worthless because they don't produce anything of any real worth to sustain life. doesn't mean you can never take a break or ever do a hobby. But you can't forsake work. And we can't expect wealth to just come. Wealth doesn't just come. You work hard for it. Not as a workaholic. That person needs to remember number two and trust the Lord. A workaholic is worshiping something else besides the Lord. But, you know, we need rest. And rest reminds us to trust in God. But rest also recharges you for what? To get back to work. Okay, so we've seen three principles so far. We gain wealth with wisdom. How? By gaining it with integrity, by trusting in the Lord, and by hard work. Number four, by slow diligence. That hard work doesn't necessarily pay off overnight. I've been working hard for a while. When's it coming? Little by little. Check out chapter 13, verses 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This is not a a get-rich-quick scheme. It's persistent earning. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Haste is contrasted with little by little, the progress and the persistence 
and the consistency over time. Chapter 28, verse 20. Check this one out. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Punished? I underline that one because I'm like, that sounds a little harsh. Why would hastiness to be rich be punishable? I think it's because it's going to entail wrongdoing at some point. Think about the sales associate who's pressured to reach a certain quota faster than all the other co-workers, and he lies a little bit in order to close those extra few deals. It's, it's wrong, and it's driven by haste rather than persistent diligence little by little. Haste, in turn, is driven by something else. Why is it hasty? I have to have it now. I have to have it fast. Usually it's driven by greed and stinginess. Check out Proverbs 28, verse 22. 28, 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. You see there what's driving his hurry is greed. More, faster. So we gain wealth by slow diligence. Number five, we gain wealth wisely by not taking advantage of others, by not taking advantage of others. Chapter 22, verse 16. There's a few here. Chapter 22, verse 16. These are all the Proverbs. All these verses I'm referencing are all in the Proverbs. 22, 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Now, okay, we get it. Oppressing poor people, that sounds bad. But giving to rich people, what's wrong with that? I don't think this is talking about a Christmas party, like a bring a gift type of party. What do you call a white elephant thing? You know, I, I don't think it's talking about those kinds of things. It's talking about taking from those who have no power, giving to those who have power. Why would someone live like that? Why would someone take from those who don't have power to do anything about it and give to people who do have power to be able to do something for me? For power. It's not about giving the gift. It's about what you get out of it. I can take from you to empower myself, and I can give to you to empower myself. You have something I need. Connections. So why on earth earth would a proverb tell you it's, it's not right to give a gift? I don't think it's wrong to give somebody a gift, and you go, wait a minute, how much money does he make? I'm not giving him a birthday gift. Forget it. We're not going to this birthday party. This guy's rich. I'm in sin if I give him a gift. I don't think it's talking about that. You know what I'm, we know what it's talking about, self-aggrandizement. You were able to give a gift to somebody poor, but you took that money and you gave it to the somebody rich because that person helps you get X, Y, or Z. That's not right. The Proverbs is saying when you live your life that way, you'll run into poverty anyway. Don't do it. This kind of person makes God an enemy. Chapter 22, again, But verses 22 to 23, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. Why? For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. God is watching. And when we take advantage of people who don't have, we're able to take advantage of them because they don't have. We take from them. Some people have no scruples and for gain they will take from their own parents. Chapter 28, verse 24. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. You murderer. 
somebody who goes into a village and just pillages it to take what they want. When you take stuff from your parents, just because they're your parents, and you think it's no transgression because they owe it to you, they're your parents, God's watching that too. You can think of people who, out of desperation, they rob those who are nearest to them and most vulnerable to them in order to get their next fix, in order to get their next prize, in order to get their next thing that they want. And oftentimes the people most vulnerable to you are your parents, people that are closest to you. God sees that. Don't do it. Honor your father and mother. A couple more here. This next one we looked at already, so we won't be long in it. But number six is by avoiding needless debt. By avoiding needless debt. Chapter 22 again, verses 26 and 27. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Be not one of those who give pledges or put up security for debts. Don't be that guy. Or it can be read, uh, do, do not become one of those people. Again, it's not saying that going into debt is a sin. We talked about this before. It's that it's foolishly dangerous. It's foolishly dangerous. You don't have the money to pay it back, and you're hoping you will be able to pay it back in the future, but you don't own the future, so you're essentially making a promise out of something that you don't have and a promise that you don't know for sure you can keep. That's why it's dangerous. I don't think the Proverbs are against reasonable debt, though some might agree. I think it's, I think it's going after stupid debt needless debt. And in this particular case, it's using going into debt as a way to get wealthy. Going into debt is not a stepping stool to wealth. Finally, the next one is sort of the opposite. It's not taking from others. It's not even borrowing from others like the last two we saw, but it's giving to others, which feels counterintuitive, right? How can I gain wealth by giving it away? That's what the Proverbs talk about. We'll see a few of them here. But number seven, the principle number seven is by being generous. We'll just be in chapter 28 for this one. By being generous. Chapter 28, three verses in a row, 25, 26, 27. Let's look at 25. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Do you see the connection? Greed The greedy person is someone who doesn't trust God. Trust, then, someone who trusts is not greed. Or someone who doesn't hold it with a death grip is generous. Generosity, or at least step one, in order to not be greedy, requires trust in the Lord. The next verse, 26, says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. This verse is true in general, but placed between 25 and 27, you can see how it backs up the idea of generosity, generosity through trust in the Lord. Look at the next verse, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. You see someone in need, you have the ability to meet that need. Out of generosity, you give. Is it scary? You didn't see that expense coming. It's not scary because you trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord allows you to be generous. Not trusting in the Lord makes you greedy. 
That's what these verses are getting at. You give to the poor. The Proverbs are saying, you're not going to be in want if you give to the poor. But if you hide your eyes, in other words, you pretend like you didn't see that need, will receive a curse. He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Ignoring opportunities to help those in need reaps the opposite of reward, which is curse. Now, we can't take every opportunity uh, to help those in need. Um, Every charity at every shopping center register. And not every opportunity is legit. Seems to me now like every single checkout experience has some, like, either tip. I'm like, why why am I tipping you? There was a day when the tip made sense, you know what I'm saying? Now it's just like the software comes in the computer, and we didn't delete it, so, you know, tip is there. And they're looking at you when you hit no. You hit X? Wow, I hate you. Spitting his food. You know, everything is tipped now. Lots of places have charities. And I don't know about you, but I'm saying, like, what charity? Like, oh, kids. Kids. And the screen will be like, do you like kids? <laughs> hit yes. Hit no if you hate kids. It almost reads that way. And I'm like, what kids? Like, is there an FTC symbol? Right? I don't know what charity this is. That's kind of dumb. Well, it's up to you. I want to at least see a website or something. But we don't want to be so skeptical. Every guy in the corner is a fake. A lot of them are. Every charity is is a waste of time. A lot of them are. We don't allow abuses of charities to make us so jaded that we don't give when there's genuine opportunities to give. And I think the easiest way, most appropriate way, definitely a, a way that the Bible teaches is to give to the church. It can take the form of giving to organizations, charities, people in your life that you know are in need, but church giving is first and foremost. Read the New Testament. There was a time where I would have paused here for a whole five minutes, like, I'm not a money-grubbing pastor. You know what? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. If you don't trust us, don't give. But if we're trustworthy and we've earned some trust here, and, you know, I'm not living in, you know, I'm not going on vacations in yachts or something, you know, know, I'm not embezzling. And it's not just for salary. It's our benevolence fund. It's savings so we can address emergencies. There's help, you know, fixing this building, helping people out when they're in need. And if you're someone in need, give us the opportunity, please. Or sometimes it's a false humility to never let somebody know, hey, I've got a need here. That's what the giving is for. And let us have the joy of putting our money to help something we know there's going to be some good benefit rather than randomly dialing it into some register at the mall. You need to let us know. But there's funds there exactly for that purpose. So, the Proverbs have more to say, but here's the gist. Wealth can be a reward from God, but it must be attained with wisdom. The seven principles that we saw, there are more. One, by gaining with integrity. Two, by trusting in the Lord. Three, by hard work. Four, slow diligence. It takes time. Five, by not taking advantage of others. Don't do it. Six, by avoiding needless debt. And seven, by being generous, giving it away in appropriate ways to people that need it. Let me close with this. I think this reminder is needed in any study, especially of the Proverbs. The Proverbs call us to wisdom, but I'm a fool. How do I live with wisdom? How do I fear the Lord? How do I have the humility to respond to him rightly and to live according to principles like this? Only in Christ. Only in Christ 
Unbelievers can do wise things in general, but they do it for other reasons. They don't do it out of fear of the Lord. And because they don't do it out of fear of the Lord, it's not the wisdom of God that, this, that the Bible is talking about. It starts with fearing him, worshiping him. And Jesus clearly taught he is the way, the truth, and the life. So all of the blessings and the promises that are appended to the Proverbs don't make sense outside of the context of Jesus Christ. And of course, he has to be your most intimate friend, as we saw last week. He is God's true wisdom. And when that's at the center of your life, then these seven principles can click into place. When these seven principles are just ways to get rich, then money's at the center, and we don't reap the reward that God is talking about. And the Proverbs are completely lost on us without Christ. But in him, wisdom, we can grow in these seven areas and more. Don't let your focus be money. Let your focus be Christ. Treasure him, and let all these other things be added to you in God's good wisdom and grace. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd give us what we need to ingest what you've given us this morning. It's a lot. Maybe one or two of those principles really struck home. We ask that you would give us uh, power where we are weak, wisdom where we are foolish, insight where we're ignorant, so we can live according to these through the power that Jesus Christ gives us. He's promised us that when we are attached to him, he's the vine, we're the branches, we will bear fruit attached to him. Outside of him, we can do nothing. But him dwelling in us and us in him, uh, we get to bear the fruit of wisdom that these Proverbs are talking about. I do pray for increase for uh, our faithful people here at CFC. Those who are facing difficulties right now, we pray that we'd be able to come alongside them and help them. We pray that uh, you would reward their diligence, reward their not being fearful and trusting in you, that they can see that you built in a general pattern in this world that is good, and that rather than taking or waiting around to receive, we can work, we can pray, we can live in wisdom, and trust you to organize our lives in a way, Father, where we are not uh, in dire need of um, sustenance, Father, even extra blessings on top of that. Help us to not worship money. It is so tempting to. Help us to worship you, Father, and enjoy every gift as an occasion to thank you and worship you. And we do that now in this song. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in the song.